My name is Brie Castellini. I used to be a spy. My name is Chris Cherry. I used to have not seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece, Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to get in touch with us for any reason other than criticism, which we will never accept under any circumstances, check the episode notes for our contact info. How do you like Mission Impossible? So they're all streaming now. They didn't used to be. Streaming where? Uh, I think on Amazon and on Paramount Plus, because they're Paramount movies. Ooh, that's good to know. Um, I have Paramount Plus, which is where I've been watching Star Trek, but I'm sure we'll talk about that next week. We'll talk about next week, next week. (laughs) But no, I have been I have seen the first four Mission Impossible's now because I've I've been watching like Brad Bird movies, mm-hmm. but like it was a thing where so was for a podcast, and then like but I had seen most of the the first three Pixar's really recently, mm-hmm. and so I was like, well, I'm listening along with the podcast talking about these movies, but I've already seen these movies too recently, but I've never seen any Mission Impossibles. Did so he I'll do watch... one of the Mission Impossibles? Yeah, he did the fourth one. Oh. And so, like, I'll watch the first three Mission Impossibles so I can listen to the fourth one for the Brad Bird podcast. <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're they're definitely serialized to the extent uh. that that's necessary. <laughs> but it's not just, like, not in terms of, like, story context, but, mm-hmm. like, this is the vibe of the series. Sure, and sure, also, sure, I've sure, just sure. wanted to watch them all. It's, like, a blind spot that I've always had. Is Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol? Yes, it is. That's the one that I was watching the night of my first date with my fiancé. Oh, wow. Here's the thing about that. <laughs> I will always have a fond place in my heart because of that. Here's the thing about that movie. It's amazing. It's, yeah. like, one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life, and I only <laughs> just watched it, like, three days ago. I need to rewatch. I don't think I've wa- rewatched it since the night that I watched it preparing for my first date with my now fiancé. So it's been uh, almost a decade. It is, like... I remember of- the third one being my, my favorite. Really interesting. The third one's terrible. The third one... Was that the one with the guy who's dead now who played Truman Capote? Yes. I remember liking that one Well, you would like that one because J.J. Abrams directed it. Oh, yeah, because I'm basic as fuck. Yeah, no, but I think it's kind of bad because J.J. Abrams directed it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know why. I, like, truly don't remember. I remember watching them when I was pretty young, then watching Ghost Protocol and liking it for other reasons, and then I don't think I've seen anything since then, but I used to really like, like, I mean, the first one's great. The first one's, they're so interesting as movies Uh because... Partially because they're so unserialized. It's so interesting how each of those first three movies are, like, such documents of their time. Mm-hmm. Like, and are such wildly different movies from each other. Yeah, they really... That is one thing that I have always remembered, is how distinct yeah. they are from one another. Exactly. Like, now it's a little bit less so. Mm-hmm. Like, um, now, like, starting with four, like, four, I'm sure, is very, like, specific because it's very Brad Birdie, but, like, it seems like they've suddenly got a thing that Mission Impossible is Mm -hmm. and are kind of iterating on that. Sure. Uh, But the first three are so wildly different because like, Mm -hmm. like the original is like not an action movie. No, it's a much quieter like spy revenge thriller. Yeah, it's like a crime movie. It's a heist movie, but it's not an action movie in any way. Mm -mm. And then like, it's a little bit of an action movie. Yeah, it's a little bit of an action movie, but it's like barely an action movie. It's like all five, seven of Tom Cruise put a lot of work into that. Exactly. How dare you tell him that there was, it's not in any way an action movie. Yeah, but it's not. Him and his little stilts <laughs> deserve better. 
The thing is, but the second one is a John Woo movie. Right. Like, I, this, uh, this is the series that made me fall in love with Tom Cruise. I can't help it. No, yeah. It, These no, are the movies great. why I love A Few Good Men, and it remains my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. The thing is that, like, Mission Impossible 2 is the most year 2000 movie ever. It's so, like, again, it's John Woo at the height of his fucking... John, John Woo-ness. <laughs> his fucking doves. It fucking ends with, like, motorcycle jousting. It's like... <laughs> Truly a wild fucking movie. Masterpiece. And I remember, like, and so 2000s. I think the most, like, year 2000 thing about that movie is that, like, Anthony Hopkins got paid, like, millions of dollars to be in it for, like, seven minutes. (laughs) Like, he's barely in that movie. But, like, he is there to, because, like, Anthony Hopkins at that point is, like, so hot still. It's Mm -hmm. like, he's, like, fucking Nick Fury of the, like, late 90s. (laughs) Where it's just, like, he shows up and suddenly it's, like, there's legitimacy to this whole thing. Sure. And I remember, like, the one thing that I remembered very vividly about Mission Impossible 2, a movie that I had not seen, but was... 12 years old when it came out mm-hmm. is the bit in the movie where Anthony Hopkins says, it's like, this is not mission difficult. It's mission impossible. <laughs> <laughs> mission difficult should be a walk in the park for you. Like I was like in every ad and it's like burn in my brain. And now, you know, the context, the context of that and how like he is in two scenes and that is it. Anthony Hopkins, the master of barely being in a movie. <laughs> So yeah, any any like high level thoughts on huh? the spy movie franchise? I mean, they're good. Again, three I don't care for. I think three is bad because it's J.J. Abrams. So is that largely why you don't like it? Just because it's J.J. Abrams and I mean, his, like, his whole shtick, you're over? I'm over a shtick. Like, it's, I think it's the best looking J.J. Abrams movie. But like the plot, it's like Abrams and I think it's Lindelof too, doing this thing that just, it simultaneously cares too much and not enough about its, like, plot. Sure, its own like, internal logic. Exactly. But, like, it doesn't... It's so obsessed with giving you, like, kind of plot mm-hmm. and story, but also not making it about anything. It's mm-hmm. not tied to anything. There's no, like, real through line to it. And, like, it's full of these, like, J.J. Abrams doing these Spielberg camera moves in a way that are, like, unmotivated. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, I think the movie in a nutshell is there's a scene in Mission Impossible 3 where, like, they're about to do their big building stunt where he's going to, like, swing Spider-Man, like, and, like, get flung over to this building and, like, run around the side of it and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he's planning it. And he's, like, looking at the skyline. And he has a marker and he's, like, drawing buildings on the, like, window. Mm -hmm. And there's this shot, this very Spielberg-y shot, where, like, the camera is, like, turning around behind him. So, so that, that it matches up. Yeah, so that it lines up. And the, but the thing is that in a Spielberg movie, that would communicate information. Right. Like In, in this that, case, we already know what he's doing, so what's the point? Exactly. It's just, like, look at this cool shot. It's, yeah, we don't, like, get anything. It doesn't put a button on the scene. It mm-hmm. doesn't do anything other than being a cool shot. Whereas, like, it's not in service of anything. And I think that is... Like, J.J. Abrams in a nutshell, mm-hmm. where it's like, I just want to do this cool thing. He and just wants a spectacle. Yeah, exactly. And But he's also not actually that great at spectacle. Like, the thing is that, like, he... Because he doesn't want to make a John Woo movie, he wants to make a Spielberg movie. Mm-hmm. And, like... But like he's, he's not he's not quite sophisticated enough for yeah. Spielberg, and he's not quite like committed enough to the his own insanity to be John Woo. Exactly, and so it just becomes this weird movie. It looks like it looks like TV. It looks like 
It looks fine. There's some good stuff in it, but like, and of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman is very good in it. Mm-hmm. I love my favorite part of that movie, honestly, is like the opening. They are already starting to hit on the thing that I think becomes crucial to the movies, the movies going forward, mm-hmm. which is that like Tom Cruise is insane. <laughs> I like, and the thing is that like this came That's out. My favorite thing about him <laughs> in 2006. Like this came out the year that everything fell apart. For Tom Cruise specifically? For Tom. This is the year of the couch jumping. This is... Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He did that on the press tour for War of the Worlds, which came out the same year. Timeline stuff, I, I'm like, I watched the movie when I was a kid and enjoyed it. That And that is the deepest I've ever thought about it. No, and but it is this thing wherein there's this great scene where, like, the joke of the scene is that, like, he does not know how to have a conversation with normal people. And so he's just like, but he's really, like, intense and bringing up weird factoids and stuff. And it's like, this is what it is like to hang out with Tom Cruise. Like, this is like... This is a literal, just ac- accurate depiction of what it is like to be in a room with Tom Cruise based on everything I've ever heard <laughs> about, like, being in a room with Tom Cruise. Like, by this point, the Tom Cruise, the actual person, and Ethan Hunt, the character, become the same person, much like the scene in 3 where the, the things go into outlines. Like, the outline of Ethan Hunt just goes around Tom Cruise. I've been watching so many movies lately. I'm kind of really into it. You've been watching movies. I've been reading romance novels. Exactly. And, you know, it's, like, great. Because, like, Brad Bird, watching that movie, watching Ghost Protocol, it, it really feels like he is a guy that when he makes animation, makes animation that looks like live action. Mm-hmm. And when he shoots live action, he shoots it like it's animation. Hmm. Like, it's so, like perfectly timed and everything is so like exact because that's his thing he's apparently like he is also insane like brad like well the the most talented artists are insane but like in particular brad bird is insane like the thing is i think part of the reason that like mission impossible goes protocol is a perfect movie is that those are two guys that are 100 percent insane (laughs) and they're both really intense and like if you met them in a party it would be weird God, I wish. Now that I'm in LA, all I want is to go to a party with Tom Cruise and have him be weird at me. God, I'd love Tom Cruise to be weird at me. And that means literally anything. Whatever Tom Cruise does to me at a party, I am down for. This is my blanket consent. Tom Cruise, spew your crazy, my bud. My dude. Oh my god. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> so those are movies about a spy. And this is a show about a spy. All right. What episode is that? It's episode three of season seven. We are now in the next week. We will be in the last 10 episodes of Burn Notice I'm, Ever. Wow. Devastating. I like, as I watched this season, I've had this weird journey with Burn Notice where it was fun for the first like season or two. Then even when the show was getting better, you know, just like the amount of work it was started to get to me. But now I'm I'm on the other side of the bell curve and I'm back to like, oh, this is almost over. What am I going to do if I don't get to see my friends every week? Not you, right. to be clear. No, of course. <laughs> like, what am I going to do when I have no more Fiona and Madeline doing stuff? So this is season seven, episode three. It's called Downrange. It aired June 20th, 2013 and was written by Craig O'Neill and directed by Scott Peters. And according to IMDb, in this episode, Sam and Jesse head down to the Dominican Republic to help with Michael's undercover mission. Fiona must help Maddie take care of a bookie attempting to collect on a debt. Sounds interesting. It does sound interesting. Let's Let's, get into it. Let's let's go into the weeds and see what it's about. The weeds! So 
first we have our, our typical bummer Michael opening where Michael comes home to the DR to mope with a hidden photo of him and Fee. The same, the same photo. The same terrible photo. Photoshop photo that we get truly so many like close-ups on. Do you think the first time that someone made it, they thought they were going to be using it that many times? No, absolutely yeah. not. Because it looks like a fucking red carpet photo that they put some greenery behind. And it's like, who was taking this picture, guys? What's the story here? Anyway, so Michael uh, mournfully looks at this as he's got some sad spy voiceover. And then he lights the photo on fire symbolically. And it's like, okay, Michael Weston. Then he also uh, sees himself uh, or a police sketch of him on TV and sadly has to also shave, which I'm devastated by. Scruffy Michael Weston is such a good look. Such a good look. But apparently no one agrees because the next two scenes, every time he meets up with a contact, they're like, ooh, you look nice. They're like, oh, yeah, look, you're all clean shaven. It's like, no, he looked better before. Exactly. But unfortunately, he's now even more on the run. The so problem, needs must. Like, the people who are dressing Michael Weston on this show have the exact opposite taste of us. Mm-hmm. Like... Anytime they have to make Michael Weston look not like Michael Weston, he looks better. He does. 100% he looks better. And I'm so... I really want to talk to, like, the costume people on this show of, like, what was your brief? Like, did they... Is this... Was that the goal? It's the goal that, like, Michael Weston is, like, a boring man who dresses boringly. (laughs) When he's at his just normal self. Yeah, is that it? I just... I want to know what, what, like, the story is there. But yeah, so the first person who likes him clean-shaven is Burke. And they head into a bar together uh, because Burke has the next phase of his plan coming together, which is they got to steal a truck. And that's all Michael knows at this point. And before they go to the bar to hire a guy to help them get the truck, Michael's like, well, I actually have some guys in Miami that could help. And Burke's like, nah, I got a guy. But... Of course he doesn't have a guy. No, and I actually didn't even recap the fact that Michael mentioned, like, I've got some guys in Miami because I figured it was like a throwaway thing. But then as the scene progressed, I was like, oh, I know how this scene ends. This scene ends with Burke saying, so about those guys you have in Miami. <laughs> and that's yeah. exactly what happens. Basically, the guy that they go meet with has learned what's in the truck, which is like a, a, all the replacement equipment from what Michael uh, and the dude from last week uh, blew up. Yeah. Or the dude from two weeks ago, I guess, blew up. And so it's like really expensive. And he's like, this is worth more more than five grand. And I'm like, yeah, dude, you're right. Five grand is a ridiculous price on whatever Burke wants you to do. So I'm with you. Fucking unionize my dude. Like, ask for your due. Burke does not agree that they are owed more than five grand for this job that I agree with this other dude is owed five more than five grand. And he, there's a little bit of a scuffle and Burke kills him. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) This guy is not gonna work with them so how about the them guys you got in miami yeah i'm realizing Mm -hmm. now that in a lot of ways these first four episodes and like the thing that they're doing is actually a lot like what they did in the beginning of season two where it's like let's spin like a whole half season just like doing one minor step of what is apparently a very convoluted plan Mm -hmm. to like get some goal so it's like i don't hate that because it at least gives us like 
more to do than just like we go for three episodes where someone's just vaguely saying like don't worry i'll tell you yeah i i don't know i it's working for me but it is interesting that yeah we're doing that again where it's like the end of last season where we spend every episode like (laughs) painstakingly trying to get them out of the country yeah but like very specifically like it feels like they're putting together a sniper rifle like they did that one time the in season two with yeah exactly it feels remarkably similar to that but this feels more personal no, in, totally. And like, I think that they're doing this better now because I also had that thought. No, no. I had the season two Carla thought. No, yeah, totally. I think they're doing much, doing it much better, which really goes to show how much it is about execution. Mm-hmm. It really is, and I, I think they've really grown a lot. And it's too bad that Trisha Helfer wasn't around for the final bit, right? Because like Trisha Helfer is just so good in this she, kind of show. She is so good in this kind of show, and it's a shame that she was like in the worst season as the worst villain or antagonist or whatever she ended up being. Is two the worst season? Is two worse than one? Maybe, well, maybe, yes, because there was a less coherent overarch. Like, at least in season one, we were still in the dark about what happened. And so it was more about, like, Michael trying to hunt down who burned him. Yeah. Before realizing it was obviously bigger than that. Exactly. But, like, that that was more motivated, more personal. And, like, I feel like they just... Remember that that timeline we put together where it was like things start breaking down like midway through season two and we're like, wait, so what the fuck happened? I still don't think we know what the fuck happened. No one will ever know. And that's one of the things about being a spy. Sometimes you don't get all the answers. <laughs> or a viewer of spy media. In any case, yeah. So that's the plan now. But of course, Strongman, uh, who's also a fan of Clean Shaven Michael, does not like that uh, Michael wants to bring in Jesse and Sam, of course, and is like, no, I've got special ops guys. And Michael's like, but what if they don't know this one thing? Burke's gonna know. Give me my guys. And Strong's like, fine. <laughs> And it's, it's, this episode really solidified for me, like, for a show that has such reverence for, like, the CIA in theory, every time we see a CIA operative, they're dumb as fucking sin. They're so dumb. By the end of the episode, Sam and Jesse are the ones calling the shots, where Strong is just standing there like, uh, uh, I've never been out of the office before, I don't know what's going on, and it's like, why are you in charge? Why is a retired Navy SEAL and some freelancer with a cute face doing all your work for you? That is the thing. <laughs> like, sometimes the CIA is smart. When it's like Agent Riley. Riley, Riley was smart. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, sometimes just the CIA has to be dumb so our characters can be smart. Because, like, the writers of this show are not smarter than spies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like... The thing is, like, Strong doesn't have to be this incompetent. No, he doesn't. There's no reason for him. And he's also not played as incompetent. No. But he has to be played as incompetent in context to our guys. But, like, if we, the viewing audience, can see the obvious issues. Like, the the thing with, like, um, Lawrence Demille is that whenever she was making decisions, even if they were, like, by-the-book decisions, you you understood why she was making them. Right. Because it was, like... You know, I have to do this because otherwise this person will get fired. You know, I have to do this. But, like, there was a reason behind the adherence to protocol. Yes. But this guy is just like, no, I'm better than all of you. Even though I specifically set this up so that Michael Weston has to work with me because he's so good. Everything that Michael Weston says is stupid because he's a fool and I'm in charge. And it's like, 
Why What's did your you go here? Why did you hire this guy? Exactly. Like, At this point, there's no like Michael Weston's name is so like deified in and outside of the intelligence community that it is absurd to me that they would know that they need him and then basically just walk around with their hands up their asses like I wonder what's gonna happen next like what's the ah it's very it is annoying that is something that particularly this episode really grated at me because it's like why is this dude here he's just here to be obstinate and he sucks and I hate him I like this character that you're working on (laughs) that you're working on for your SNL audition (laughs) my jersey uh Jersey CIA by the book CIA guy. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. My hands up my ass. I can't do nothing. <laughs> uh, so during this meeting with Strongman, where Michael finally convinces him to let him bring his friends to the Dominican Republic, where they can have a sleepover, he also tells him that they know who that that like shit just got like extra real because they know who Burke is going to sell the satellite equipment that they're about to steal to it's to another terrorist two whole terrorists an embarrassment of riches so we're going to get them both at the same time it's very exciting aren't you excited michael so uh then we have a quick scene where jesse and sam like agree to come um sam finds jesse playing basketball and Jesse is on a job or something waiting for someone to come out. And then and he's like, all right, well, I can I can go tomorrow to the DR. I have to finish. Like, I'm at work right now. And Sam's like, no, you have to come right now. It's in an hour. And Jesse's like, all right, I'll take a shower and we'll go to the airport. And I'm like, what is your fucking job, Jesse? You can just leave in the middle? Yeah, what is I what mean, is Jesse's job? I mean, I'm assuming he's doing surveillance. He can just leave his surveillance and loudly talk about, like, but we're spies, Sam. Can I go to the spy thing tomorrow? I'm playing basketball at work where I spy. Do you think this character can talk to the other character? <laughs> the can flamboyant they... spy. The flamboyant spy and the dumb Jersey CIA guy. Can they have a conversation? Uh, yeah, give me a, give me a, a workplace. All right. The post office. Okay. Uh, give me an adjective. <laughs> Squirrely. All right. Um, <clears throat> I forgot my CIA guy's voice. Hello! I need to send a covert letter. Hey, yo, I, I was here first. You get back to the back of the line. I got my hands on my ass. I got stuff going on. No, I need to send a letter. A letter of covert importance. Back away, citizen. I can't tell you what it is because it's a secret, but just know it's important. Hey, that's not by the book. I was here first. There's, the, there's a line, my guy. There's a line. Get behind me in line. You can send your covert letter later. <laughs> oh, my God. You're acting awful squirrely. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best episode of this podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And it's scene. A, it's a shame that, like, in the final season, we finally got good. <laughs> it's honestly very like us. Uh, okay. So, yeah, two terrorists, Jesse's and Sam are on their way. So, uh, staying in Miami for a bit, Madeline seems to get a positive call about Charlie's adoption. So, it seems like things are going well in, you know, the, the old in custody hearing. Yeah, in Charlie World, things are going well until they don't because they're at, like, the marina or something. And these two guys sit down. And at first, Madeline's just like, oh, hi, how are you? Oh, yeah, I'm going to get to adopt my grandson. It's such good news. And it's like... 
Does this dude look like, yeah, I'm going to sit next to you on the only bench in the area just to have a friendly chat in my stupid suit? I will say, I think you talked last week about, like, Madeline being a little dumb for, like, your taste considering where she is in the show. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like now, having seen a little bit more of this season, Mm -hmm. like, they have dumbed Madeline down. They definitely have. Like, she, she comes back... You know, she's got her, she's gets her moments, her like yeah. moments of triumph. But yeah, there so are like, two separate sequences in this and next episode where it's like, Madeline, come on. Exactly. You are smarter than this. Mm-hmm. We've seen you be smarter than this. You pretended to have a hearing problem so you could listen in on like covert conversations when people thought that you were out of earshot. Exactly. This like, is not that behavior. I told you. I could see the writing on the wall. You didn't trust me. I, you know, I know. I should have trusted you. You should have trusted me. I should have trusted you. We gotta go buy the book. I I am the book. I think it was was a little bit lower and, like, rounder. I am the book. Yeah, it was that. There it is. Okay. I'll get it. I'll get it. It's all new. So, uh, anyway, so this, this obviously suspicious man sits next to her, introduces himself as Al Sapienza, an old friend of Nate's, and Madeline immediately goes... Oh, great. So you're his bookie. And he's like, I sure was. And he owes me a lot of money. Ruth was paying me off. And then Charlie's not with her anymore. So I guess she figures she doesn't have to. So now it's you. You get to pay me off. I need 80 grand. Bye. And uh, but before they leave, he like kind of roughs him up a little bit and hands Charlie uh, like a bullet. Yeah. (laughs) Which is legitimately kind of chilling. It is chilling. It it is an effective like thing because it is just it's not actually bad. No, yeah, but, but it's, it's it sends a message. It's it really like, does. Like he gives him like something before they leave, and she like wrestles it out of Charlie's hand, and it's like a giant bullet. Like this guy is like a nobody. Mm-hmm. This guy like gets foiled very easily. Mm-hmm. But I get why he has this job because he has a flair for the dramatic. He does <laughs> like my like my uh, my spy. Yeah, my my unsubtle spy guy. I have a covert letter! Anyway, so she calls Fee to babysit, and Fee's like, I'm not gonna babysit, Madeline. What's going on? And so Madeline explains, and she's like, but I think I can get the money. I've called a bunch of people, and Fee's like, absolutely not. We do not negotiate with terrorists, Madeline, because you and I both know that Nate's got way more debts than just this one, and if it gets out that you're willing to pay, then this will not be the end, so we need to send a message. And Fee's also just like, Madeline, have you ever watched Burn Notice? <laughs> we never pay. This is this is the the thing that we do. I understand, Madeline. We haven't actually done this in a while because we've been doing a bunch of plot arc stuff. But this is the premise of the show. I mean, I also do think that it's like, because at one point Madeline's like, I wish Michael were here. And Fee's like, well, he's not. So we're going to handle it. Yeah. And I think that's probably part of it is that she's like, well, the whole gang isn't here. It's just me and Fee. So, you know, I guess I just got to do this by the book. Yeah. And Fee's like, no, no, no. We are strong, independent women. We don't need no man. Exactly. So uh, we head back to the DR where we watch Sam and Jesse fly in on a dingy little plane. They introduce themselves as themselves. So I guess no one's concerned anymore that somebody in Miami might be checking up on them and their like actual human names. I guess I guess Burke had one guy who might ask around about them, and now that they've gotten rid of that one guy and his one contact, everything's fine, and we'll just tell them our names. I mean, like, Burke knows about these people. Does he? It's unclear to no, me think, what Burke specifically knows. I think, like, it's impossible to research Michael Weston and not be aware of these people. Then why was it so easy for them to, like, 
like when they were on the run for Michael to be the one whose face everyone knows, but then like until Riley noticed that it was Sam Axe. I mean, yeah, I think like but Burke is like clearly doing like more research. I guess. I don't know. I like I understand why they're they are themselves. But be- also Jesse is like gainfully employed in some kind of legit securities position. No, I think I think the like the fear is if they go in as anyone other than themselves. The story will fall apart. Exactly. Like, I think, like, they are afraid of the thing that happened to Sam happening again, where they look go, are you Sam X? <laughs> no, I'm Chuck Finley. Yeah, same difference. Yeah. Okay, well, in any case, unfortunately, though they managed to fly blah, under the radar most of the way, somebody spotted them, so they blow up the airplane and drive away with the explosion covering them. And that's kind of how they first get into the DR. But like, it sort of serves as a useful mini audition for Burke to see how well these three dudes can like immediately jump into action and work together. So, you know, all's well that ends well. Later, um, they head to where the truck that they're going to steal is being kept and discuss how they're going to get at it. And Burke's like, all right, that sounds like a good plan, except for the last bit, because he was like, what happens if Michael like gets shot at? And they're like, well, then he'll bail out and we'll try again. And he's like, no, we're not doing this twice. We're doing this once. If Michael gets caught, you need to snipe him. (laughs) Because Sam had already said, like, I'll cover him with a sniper rifle. Well, not not snipe Michael. No, yes, snipe Michael. Well, no, because I think, like... No, he's like, you will kill Michael Weston if Michael Weston gets caught. I think, yeah, but I think, like, the main point of the scene is more, like, you will have to, like, if someone catches him, kill that person. I got the sense that it was, you will kill Michael. No, I don't, because he doesn't kill Michael, obviously. But, like, I don't think, like, like, the point of the scene that happens is, like, Sam is, like, Sam does not want to kill anybody. Right. Like, because Sam never wants to kill anybody. Until next week. And then then he kills, like, three people. Exactly. Uh, Unless someone is directly shooting at him, he does not want to kill people. But, yeah, like, he doesn't want to kill any guards or anything, so. But, like, Brick's saying... Like, kill the guards if they see Michael. Because mm-hmm. I think, like, that makes more sense, especially since, like, Burke is, like, really gung-ho about getting his people. I guess that's yeah, true. Yeah, no, I think... It was unclear I... to me. It seemed kind of like he was like, you will kill Michael, but, rather than let him get captured. No, I think it was, you will kill the guards if they I see Michael. I see. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I missed that. I assumed he was saying, like, yeah. I was in Leo's, I was in Al Sapienza mindset, handing bullets to children and being yeah. like, you will kill Michael Weston rather than get him, like, captured. Right, yeah. In any case, that's the plan. Um, then they they break off for a little while to go prepare, and Sam and Jesse yell at Michael, and then Michael gives us a, a little bit more information, which I think was sort of, like, implied previously, but never stated outright, where it's it's not just that Michael agreed to work for the, the CIA again so they could all get out of holding. It's specifically also he has to wrap this up. He has to deliver Burke and, like, finish this mission. Otherwise, they all go back to holding. Yeah. Which seems wild and not fair given how badly apparently this has been up till now like to get Burke (laughs) this seems like an unfair precedent precedent to set on four other people who you've now let go and go back to their normal lives and who haven't done anything wrong and have in fact continued to help you with this thing I mean they've done some stuff wrong But it is, it's like, it's, I'm kind of glad this is out there, like, just on a high level thing, because now it's like, okay, well, he has 
a even better excuse right. <laughs> to eventually get back in Fee's good graces. Yeah. Which is, it's like, I didn't just go back to work for them. I went to work for them so that you could stay out. Like, I am committing and the, forcing myself to be in this horrible position so that you never go to prison again. The thing is that, like, to me, that was obvious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, one, it's like one of those things where it's like, no, I don't understand why this is not obvious to the other characters. Mm-hmm. Like, that this is what's going on. Well, I think it's, I, I mean... To Jesse and Sam, that, yeah, it definitely doesn't make sense. For Fee, and even Madeline to an extent, I can kind of buy it because they were so invested in him, like, getting out, and they know how much, how hard it's been to even get him to consider that possibility. Like, it's not hard to imagine that, you know, it wasn't hard to convince him. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that they're they're assuming the worst because they were already fearing it. That makes sense. I, I can see that. Sam and Jesse, I'm surprised, didn't mention, like, I bet there's something else going on here because they, they have a little bit more distance from it. But y- you're right. Like, this was a... I assumed this was the case last time, but we just hadn't said it out loud until just now. And then Sam and Jesse, like, sober up. And I'm like, yeah. you guys really... You went through six seasons of this show and however many years before it, knowing Michael Weston, and you're like, yeah, he just, like, went back to the, D- to the CAA and everything's, like, hunky-dory. Right, yeah. And I feel like Michael even says, like, this. it had to be this way or whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. Um, so that that's that's all that happens in that scene, is they yell at him for, like, not telling them what this is about. He tells them a little more about what it's about and says, we have to get Burke or you're all going back to prison. And they're like, well, shit, I don't want to do that. Back in Miami, Fee has a plan to get rid of this Sapienza dude. They're going to give him some cash and jewelry and bug it so Fee can follow him back to his stash, steal it, and put him in a bad position with the guys upstairs. Because Sapienza mentions that he has, like, mafia connections. Yeah. Um, and that's why, like, Madeline's so freaked out and... He's like, I mean, it's mafia. We do. It's it's a Wednesday. It's the mafia. Everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> She's like, but also, if he has mafia friends, that is that presumes that he works for them. So if we fuck with him, he has two options: get the fuck out or die. <laughs> yeah. The thing I'll say about Sapienza is that, like, despite his flair for the dramatic and handing a bullet to a child, uh-huh. like he is like very much. The bad guy of a movie in which the lead is a kid. You know? <laughs> he is like... That's such a good way to distill that energy. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. He's like a spy kids villain. Exactly. <laughs> He's like off-brand Alan Cummings. Yeah, it's like so... It's like kind of weird to watch Fee, like, deal with him. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, this is this is a bad guy for a child. <laughs> This is a bad guy that it seems like Charlie should be foiling. Exactly. Um, But not yet. In like Baby's Day Out fashion. (laughs) Like, this is a bad guy from Baby's Day Out. (laughs) So Madeline gets all of her savings and all of her jewelry. Fee bugs some of her jewelry. And Sapienza, or not bugs, but like puts a tracker in it. And Sapienza comes over and is mad that it isn't all of it. She like got him, I think like 24,000 plus the collateral of his, her jewelry within like hours of him meeting with her the first time. And he's like so pissed that she doesn't have all the money right away. And I'm like, dude, you told her about this yesterday. That's obviously earlier today. That's a lot of money. You should be grateful that she's already putting down a deposit. Yeah, that's a a lot of money. And it also sounds like you weren't hassling Ruth as long as she made certain payments towards it. So why all of the sudden do you need all of the money right away? I don't know. I think it's possibly because, like, he knows that Madeline's legit. 
Like, he's like, I have one shot at this. Maybe. I don't know. I wish I'd had, like, one more scene with him or, like, maybe a surveillance scene where we learned, like, His oh, deal? he needs this money because he needs, you know, because he's the middleman and he right. needs to pay off who he got the money originally from. Right, yeah. You know, or something like that. Because otherwise he just seems like a fucking fool. He does seem like a fucking fool. And he continues to be a fucking fool, but he takes everything and is like, you have three more days. Also, I own you. And he like grabs her face and is like, remember that I own you. This will come back. Yeah. So back in the DR, the boys start their assault of the truck and it goes well until a guard comes out for a smoke and Sam is forced to shoot him. They get the truck, but Sam is clearly upset about having to kill somebody again. Um, we, we later, in a later scene that I don't think I recap specifically, they mention like, these guys are bad. They work for a mercenary company that like, hate, like kills villagers. And Sam's like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> but we have, we have the obligatory, like, you killed a bad guy. It's fine. Yeah, but yeah, like Sam is like, you don't understand this guy doing his job <laughs> yeah it's it's like i as soon as he shot him i was like i bet we're gonna get some backstory about how this dude's like a pedo or something yeah. and we you know we do he works for a mercenary company that kills villagers or yeah. whatever but sam is still mad because he killed a guy who's doing his job mm-hmm. it's an old john mulaney joke about like in the new york post a hero is just a man who is doing his job <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah and children are angels yeah all that stuff. Um, exactly. But yeah, so that's a whole thing. So uh, all goes well. Sam and Jesse then head back to the CIA to get briefed uh, about how the CIA is going to be taking down two terrorists for the price of one. And Strong's like, all right, we're going to put you on a boat back to Miami. Thanks for your help. And they're like, um, fuck you, dude. No, we're not going to do that. And Strong's like, fine, you can stay. But all you will do is watch. Watch me be the big, strong boy who I am. And then you will go back to Miami. And they're like, like I have a big dick. It's <laughs> huge. And Kobe Bell looks at him and he's like, mm-hmm, sure you do. And then... I have a big dick. It lives in Canada. <laughs> and then Sam and Jesse give each other a little look and it's like, yeah, they're not going to just watch. They're, they're participators. They're men of action. So back in Miami, Madeline and Fee do a little stakeout where, at the location where the bug has been taken. Sapienza hasn't left yet, so they don't know if he's like moving to a second location or what, but they, in any case, need to wait for him to leave. Oh, that's right. We didn't talk about the thing in the earlier scene. What? Wherein the thing that they're going to talk about in this scene, which is the fact that Madeline... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how we missed this. I, I don't, don't know either. how we... I, I definitely put it in there. I don't know how we missed the fact that they did a whole scene where Madeline is just like, Nate sucks. <laughs> yeah, so so one of the ways she convinces Sapienza to give her a couple of days is like, do you know why Nate didn't give me my number earlier? Because he knew I would pay it off. My son's a loser. He sucks ass. Everyone hates him. He sucks. He sucks. He's dead. I'll get you your money. Get the fuck out of my house. This dude fucking sucks and so yes yeah, so you're totally right so while they're waiting for sapienza to shit or get off the pot madeline brings it up and if he's like you, you had to say something and madeline's like no no no. nate does suck he all did. of that was true it's true i fucked up that guy <laughs> sucked so hard and now i have his kid and i'm just like so scared that i'm gonna fuck him up again like what if he's only good natured like what if his only good quality is that he also likes graphic design like i can't go through this again he needs more of a personality than sucks and loves graphic design <laughs> oh god i just love it i love they're just like yeah no fuck nate nate was terrible <laughs> We've really come full circle from, like, my baby is dead to, like, my baby sucked ass. 
<laughs> what a tool. But yeah, so Sapienza leaves, the bug stays in place. So they're like, okay, clearly he, his, the stuff is here. So we're going to get his stash and clear him out. And so they have a little scene where they blow out a wall and it's not a spy tip because it's Fee telling Madeline, like, basically like, this is how we're going to get it. And she like narrates a spy tip for Madeline on like a take your mother-in-law to work day. Yeah. <laughs> where they like so blow out the good. wall together. And Madeline's like, that was really satisfying. And it was so cute to like watch them do a little montage together. Sharon Bless. When the wall blows up, the look of genuine glee in her face is like, it's one of those times where it's like, that's not acting. (laughs) She's having a ball. And I love that for her and for me. Oh my God. It's so good. Yeah, I really like that they they chose to do like a duo scene. I was a little confused why Carlos wasn't there. But um, I like that it's Girls' Day. It's a Girls' Day. Well, they talk about why Carlos isn't there. No, they talk about him in the next episode. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But this time, it's not about Michael. It's about Nate. Right. So there would have been no reason to keep him out of it. Right, totally. Other than the fact that it's Girls' Day. Exactly. It's Girls' Day. It's Girls' Day. So back in the Dominican Republic, Sam and Jesse are like, this meeting spot that you're keeping an eye on the two terrorists at, this seems weird. This seems like a really bad meeting spot. Like, almost like it's a trap. Or you have not considered something. And Strong's like, shut up. I'm really good at my job. And they're like, mm-hmm. I'm strong. <laughs> I am strong. I am a strong boy. And it's also a matter of like, because they were like, well, fine. <laughs> You're a strong boy. As soon as you see them, fucking shoot them. Like, just kill them outright. And he's like, no, Langley wants a recording of their call for some reason. Right. Where yeah. it's, which doesn't really make sense to me. Like, obviously it works out because we learn something new. But like, as far as the CIA knows, these are two terrorists that they've gotten in one place. They already have a dossier against both of them. Just take them out. I mean, like, yeah. I think part of it is that, like, the CIA isn't the FBI, they're not really cops, they're spies. Sure. And their intelligence is their first concern. Yeah. And I think even there's a spy tip that mentions that, either this or next week. It's like, yeah. it's about the intelligence. Exactly. And so I think- But they that, are planning to kill them. They're, they are planning to kill them. They want these guys. It is very pointless and sweaty, but it's like- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so anyways, because basically like where they are, like where the meeting is set to take place is like- isolated there's only really one narrow entrance and exit which seems like really stupid because they're gonna get pinned down but strong doesn't care he puts snipers like truly everywhere he's got like 15 snipers on every roof (laughs) he's like we're gonna do this so the meeting begins and right away after the second terrorist shows up his name is serrano yeah, I think it's Serrano. Yeah. yeah, Serrano. So Serrano shows up. Terrorist 2 shows up. And uh, Burke kills both of Serrano's men. And is like, oh, I don't want your money, my dude. I want you. And he's like, what? And Michael's like, what? And then, you know, the, the, there's some confusion about what the fuck is happening when all of a sudden they hear a helicopter. And so a helicopter, which was Burke's actual way out of this, starts coming down and calls Burke. And he's like, hey, Burke. Why are there 15 snipers on every roof around here? What the fuck? And so Michael then has to like pivot (laughs) and pretend like... Serrano brought snipers. And Serrano's like, that doesn't make sense. 
I knew that where we were going 40 minutes ago. You were probably already here. Like, how the fuck would I have said snipers? And Michael's like, it was him. He did snipers. And Bert's like, I don't believe him, Michael. This seems fishy. And so Michael, like, positions himself in front of a window, like, they're not for me. They'll kill me if they see me in front of a window. And Sam realizes what he's doing and, is, and he, like, shoulders a dude out of the way and is like, I'll shoot at him. Yeah. So Sam shoots at him and then Michael goes, look, they shot at me. <laughs> They don't like me. And then he, like, wrestles um, the Serrano over to the window, and he's like, Serrano, call your men off. And Serrano, who's been truly so polite and sweet yeah. this whole scene. No, Serrano seems like a nice guy. I mean, we know he's an international terrorist. Yeah, but, but also he just seems like a nice guy. He really does seem like a nice guy. And he's like, they're, what? And he's like, tell tell them to call it off. And so Serrano finally just starts shouting, like, uh, back, back off. This is me, your boss, Serrano. Please don't do this. And, and it works. And, well, it does work after Jesse and, um, and Sam are like, strong, call your men off. And then it, like, there's a couple of tense seconds, and then he does. Because fucking like, Strong's not in charge anymore. No, of course not. But I love, I'm just, like, imagining what's going on through Serrano's head when it works. <laughs> I mean, but also, it's still, like, if clearly they can hear us in here, clearly they know Michael is burned unless this works. Like... It is so funny, though. I just, like... If I was Serrano, I would have been like, everyone take your shots. Shoot. Shoot the whole building up. Because then what are they going to do? Yeah, exactly. But, like, Serrano's not a smart guy. Serrano's a nice guy. Mm -hmm. The nice guy terrorist manages to convince the CIA to back off. And the helicopter guy's like, oh, that worked. Okay, I'll pick you up now. And then they all leave. And Michael's ass is covered for now. Um, there's and then, and then like later the the final scene of the episode, uh, which I'll get to now because it basically happens right away, is that Michael demands answers uh, because I think in, at some point in the scene Burke mentions like the boss is here. Yeah, the boss is here. We need to go see the boss. We need to learn about the boss. And and Michael's like, I'm sorry, Burke. Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen is here. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I didn't even bring my autograph book. Uh, but he's like Burke. I thought you were in charge. And Burke's like. I'm not. I'll I'll tell you everything as soon as I can. And so, like, that's how the episode ends. But really quickly, we have to also resolve the... It's like, I'm clearly not in charge. The person in charge is going to be, like, some character actor. Mm-hmm. I am, like, I'm a heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also what I remember. He's only in three episodes, which I looked up when I was trying to see right. something else. And I was right. like... Seems like Burke's days are numbered. Yeah. It's a good thing there's bigger babush- babushka doll or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> that we need to find. A Matryoshka doll? Yeah. Is it not Babushka? That's, no, Babushka is like a, like a like a headscarf or something. I feel like some of those dolls had those too. I don't know. It's also a song. <laughs> it's also a song by uh, Kate Bush. Of course it is. It's a good song. But anyways, to wrap up the girl plot, just girls plot, but no boys allowed plot, Sfi and Maddie peek in on a despondent looking Sapienza at a cafe and they're like, haha, we got him. And so Fee goes to like finalize the putting the fear of God into him and Madeline's like, no, no, no let me do it. And so Madeline goes over and like shows off all the stuff they got from his safe and is like, you're fucked. If you come anywhere near me or my grandson ever again, I will end you. (laughs) I will call down every single person that you know, and they will kill you for me. Leave me the fuck alone. Uh, And then she grabs his, his face like he did to her earlier. And she's like, don't forget, I own you. And then like, you know, puts her sunglasses on and leaves. And it's a pretty good scene. I punched the air a lot in that scene. I was having a great time watching Madeline take hers even though like if you actually zoom out there have been four scenes 
the scene where we meet Sapienza, the scene where he roughs her up a little bit, but she gives him some bug stuff, the scene where they get the stuff out of his safe, and the scene where she shows off that she got stuff out of his safe yeah. and get him. Yeah, no, it is like a C plot. There's like no B plot, it is an A plot and a C plot. Mm-hmm. It's like not a lot to it. No. Like it's a great scene. I'm just imagining what it would have been like if instead of Sharon and Glass it was Macaulay Copeland. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because it seems like he might be the lead of this movie. Oh, right, right, right. Because it's it's a uh, it's it's kids' time. Yeah, he's a kid villain. It's a kid villain. Uh, but yeah, so that's the episode. <laughs> so imagine like 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 a like eleven year old Macaulay Culkin is like grabbing this dude's face. Like I own you. <laughs> I would actually like to see that. Yeah, that actually sounds great. Um, but yeah, so that's the episode. There were like seven or eight total spy tips that were all garbage Uh i only have three that are even remotely okay and i'm pretty sure only two of them are gonna fly all right so number one there are many advantages to flying into a country on speaking of flying (laughs) on an unregistered plane you don't wait in lines you don't check bags and you don't leave an incriminating paper trail the disadvantage is that without a declared flight path you can't land at an airport so the best you can hope for is finding an open field and flying in low of course while flying in low might keep you off the radar of local authorities it means you're a lot easier to spot from the ground yeah, sure. Really? That was the one that I thought you wouldn't give me. No, I mean, like, I think, like, knowing the landing, like, I think, like, the landing aspect of it, I'm fine with. Okay. Yeah. It didn't occur to me that just because my plane is unregistered that I could not land at, like, an airport, I think. Hmm. You know? I mean, I assume, because, like, things are so tightly, like, put in there, and, like, I've been in enough airplanes that, like, circle an airport that cannot land. Yeah. Where, like, I maybe knew that, but, you know, that's fair. I'm not the only authority. Exactly. And if you didn't know it, if you learned something. Yeah, I know. And that's important. Yeah, I learned something. (laughs) Uh, Anyways, number two, a GPS tracker can actively transmit its location from anywhere in the world. Units small enough to hide, however, aren't usually very precise, which means that even though you can follow it everywhere it goes, you won't be getting much closer than a general area. That's why it's a good idea to pair your GPS tracker with a passive radio frequency identification tag. You can be sure that whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. That seems good. Yeah, that was very helpful. So they're like, we got the general idea from the GPS and then a precise location from the radio frequency. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. And we and we got to watch them like hide it behind photos in a locket. Yeah, that's nice. It was nice. And we got to see some vintage photos of, I guess, Madeline Weston's family. Uh, Whatever. Number three, and the final tip (laughs) that was anywhere remotely useful. The key to getting through a high security fence is understanding how it works. The fence itself is usually divided into sections with a current flowing through. Cut a section and an alarm goes off, pinpointing the location that's been tampered with. To compromise one of the sections, you have to match the precise current coming through the fence. Fortunately, electric alarms usually use intermittent pulses rather than a continuous signal, which means you can tap into the system as long as you do it between pulses do it right no one ever knows you were there yeah i'll take this too yeah that was useful they've been using that like electricity tracker thing a lot yeah so must be a new thing that they learned about and got very excited about very very into it unfortunately that's only three tips so Mm -hmm. uh there were not at least five practical spry tips uh and there also wasn't an alias. There was not an alias. So, so it's a foregone conclusion. This is not a great episode of Burn Notice, but for, for the purposes of science, was there spycraft over violence? Yeah, I think there was. Yes. Although there was still too much violence for our, our poor baby Bruce's heart. That's true. Uh, speaking of poor baby Bruce, our two characters used well. Does Fee get to blow something up or get to be protagonist? She does get to blow something up. She does get to blow something up. 
I really enjoy that scene. I I did too. I I liked the scenes with them. They yeah. weren't. They didn't really use them for a lot, but I appreciated that most of that plot was like Fee and Madeline working together and talking about how much Nate sucks. Yeah, exactly. I'm never going to be mad about that. No, totally. Uh, does Sam get to be peak Bruce Campbell? Yeah, not really. Yeah, I mean, yeah. his first scene with Jesse on the basketball court where he's like joking around with Jesse and then being like, yeah, I thought I was going to have a weekend for some special lady time with that's true. That is true. We but that's only that. one moment and one very short scene that served largely as exposition for like, we have to go to the Dominican Republic. Okay. Yeah. Is that enough? I don't know. Because he's more peak Sam Axe in this episode where he's like mad that he has to kill somebody. Right. Yeah. Than he is peak Bruce Campbell. That's true. Yeah, no, I don't know if I want to give yeah, it to Yeah, I don't think there's enough. Uh, is Jesse a distinct addition rather than a redundancy? I don't know if he is either. I don't think so. I don't think he, like, next episode he gets some more fun. But, like, but this episode he's largely kind of just along for the ride. Yeah, no, he's just kind of there. I remain a fan of Sam and Jesse as a pair. Yeah, But they didn't get, we didn't get a ton of time with just them. It was mostly them in context of whatever the fuck Burke and Michael were doing. Exactly. But um, I, I have hope that this pairing will continue in the future. Uh, but finally, does Madeline get a genuine emotional moment with another character or get to do the case of the week yes to both yeah so it was a good girl episode even though episode. they had yeah, a c like, plot at best yeah. so that's that's two out of four not terrible but you know but not a great episode of burn notice not a great episode of burn notice not a great episode of television yeah either. no I, I i was i was gonna transition and then i was like is it worth it yeah it's a, not it's i mean it was fine it was an it, it's our first episode of television of the season because yeah. the first two were great um, it's a little bit of a, of a letdown because of Craig O'Neill. Yeah. I mean, it's solid. Yeah. I mean, it's a fine episode. It was just, it was very, it, it was, it was back to kind of a perfunctory episode of like every scene, like this is going to be a short episode of our podcast because yeah. there just wasn't a lot to recap. No, there wasn't. It was just kind of They whatever. stole a, they stole a car. They learned that the car wasn't the point. Then Fiona and Madeline stole a safe. And got a bad guy after back. Well, I think this is kind of the consequence of doing this kind of plotting, where like, like we're just trying to get the sniper, like season two thing, where like you can't really sink in your teeth into any one aspect of it because mm-hmm. it's all just like this leads to this leads to this, and it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. I it's mean, it could they- have been like like because it's such a perfunctory episode. It feels like they could have had a little more fun with the individual sequences. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's and not- I like the little bit of like you know joking around that Sam and Jesse do at the basketball courts, where where Sam's like narrating for him, like and he shoots and he scores. Yeah. It's like a cute little moment, but like it feels like they could have pushed it a little further. Right. There's nothing that like there's nothing about this episode that really is interesting or mm-hmm. like there's no like hook to it there's no like it's yeah. just it's there. an episode where stuff happens it's just content mm-hmm. it's just content yeah i mean i don't have anything else to say i don't have anything else to say about it either it was, it was fine it was fine yeah but that's all it is uh but you know what's not fine and is actually great is our theme music which is all thanks to vince and el find more of vince's music at vince and and until next week bye bye Boy, boy. Ghost Protocol. It's really good. Perfect movie. <laughs>